Well, for those of you who, maybe this may be your first time, we've been in a series called One Another, and we're taking all the scriptures out of the Bible that deal with one another. We live in a culture where it's, I'm number one, take care of number one, we're number one, and so we forget everybody else. If we have a little leftover, we might give it to somebody else. But Jesus' kingdom is upside down, inside out. It is the antithesis of the let's be number one. I like us called GR first. You say, well, doesn't that make kind of no sense when you call yourself GR first? Oh, it does to me. I want to be first at forgiving people. I want to be first at loving people. I want to be first at blessing people. I want to be first at giving generosity to people. I want to be first to allowing people in the room and sit at the table to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. I want to be first at surrendering and being a servant. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, as I worked hard on that, amen. <laughs> but today I want to take this one another and I want to take it to not just the resurrection, but what he did and why the resurrection is so powerful because of what he did on the cross for you and me. So I want, to go, want you to go with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a great big one up here so you can see it real good. But I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit tells the early Christians that were following Jesus Christ. And he's talking about them putting up with each other. And he says this in verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now remember he's talking to the church. I know you never have a complaint about me. I don't believe that because my wife's had a couple since we've been married. Just a couple. I leave the cabinet doors open. And does any other man have that problem? Leaving drawers and cabinet doors open? Amen. We'll have a healing line after the service. Amen. <laughs> Burying with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now watch this. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. But he says, here's the context. It's offense. It's a sin someone commits against somebody else. And he tells the Jesus follower, bear with one another. Bear. And that actually that word bearing literally means endure it. It also means to pick up. It means to carry. And when he's talking about this, he's talking about this forgiveness. But the reality of this is you can never truly experience the power to forgive someone truly until you first experience the unconditional love and forgiveness Jesus had for you and me when he went to that cross. And until you understand and start realizing, I don't have to perform for him. All I have to do is say, Jesus, I know you are the only way I receive because you lived the life I couldn't live. You died the death I should have died. And Jesus, you did that with no strings attached. Not expecting anything else from me, but to trust you. Friends, he says, when you understand that, he carried your offense and my offense to the cross. He said, you're able to do it when you see how I did it. 
because now my power is in you. In fact, that word elitra means to carry. And that's why 1 Peter 24, and I want to read this out of Eugene Peterson's The Message, a contemporary paraphrased. And I want to read this because I think this paraphrase really sums up 1 Peter 1.24. He says this, he, God, used his servant, Jesus Christ. Watch this. He used his servant's body to carry our sins, our offenses. We wronged him. We were in sin. We walked against God. Watch this. He said to carry our sins to the cross so that we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became our healing. You know what? I'm, the more I grow in Jesus Christ, the less I need the externals to get me excited about Jesus. I mean, I love a 15-minute guitar solo, and I love smoke just like anybody else. I love LED panels. I love music. I love cymbals. I, 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 I love it. I, I'm into it. I mean, it gets me going. But I'm going to tell you something. I could care less if we had a number two wash tub up here, and the only time we were on beat was when we crossed it. I could care less if you had a tongue-tied Chinese guy like me up here, couldn't put two sentences together. It will not take anything for anything external for me to get excited. All I need to do is remember what he did on the cross and his resurrection. All it takes is for me to read it. And I just flat get excited about who I have become in Jesus Christ because of what he did for me. Now, I don't know about me, but it's not just me. But how many believe we just go ahead and break out in some crazy praise over him just because of who he is with nothing else but simply Jesus, just Jesus, and what he carried, what he bore on the cross. <laughs> now, let me show you why this is so important. I'm going to break this down. This could be a little heavy for some of you today, but I think you can handle this. I want you to see something. Get your app out because there's going to be some stuff here you're going to want to go back and chew on just a little bit today. <clears throat> but I want you to understand that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, their sin brought a curse upon mankind. A curse of death was upon us. Understand that clearly. Sin always has a curse with it, friends. That curse carried you and me. He was the first Adam. But God loved us so much and wanted such relationship, wanted us with him forever, but sin, the curse, would separate us from God for eternity. Now understand this. Jesus, the second Adam, here's what he did on the cross. His death, his burial, his blood, his resurrection. Here's what he did. He broke the curse that Satan put on us through our disobedience. He broke the curse through his death, through his blood, through his burial, and through his resurrection. He broke that off of us that we could live a resurrected, restored life. Let me give you some word on that. Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 15, he said, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin, that's the first Adam, and God's gracious gift, Jesus Christ. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for the other man, Jesus Christ, that reversed the curse, resurrected our lives, and gives us redemption and a new life, not just here, but for eternity. So here's the deal. The shed blood of Jesus Christ gives you power for restoration. 
It resurrects things. His blood, his death, his earth, literally resurrects things and restores what was taken when sin enters our life and when Adam sinned. So here's what Jesus did. He actually gives you and me, those of you sitting at home, he gives us the ability to access the power to break the curse off of our life. This is why I love serving Jesus Christ. It breaks the curse and starts restoring things through me. It restored my spirit. I was dead in my trespasses. I was headed for hell. I was headed for eternal destruction. But when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he resurrected Sam's spirit and I became a new creation in Jesus Christ. Old Sam was gone. The new Sam rose up and he didn't just renew me in my spirit to be a new man and to make you a new woman in Jesus Christ. But when you came to him, he also restored my soul. My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. He has the ability to restore my body for healing. Not just here, friends, but how many know when we stand before him, we have an eternal body that makes this one look like nothing. He restores that. Now, how did he do that? We talk about the resurrection, but how did he break that curse? You know, when we see the crucifixion, most of us think that that was the moment that he shed the blood that things begin to happen to break the curse. But in fact, everyone, do you know that Jesus had shed his blood seven times? Did you know that he had already shed his, he had shed his blood prior to them putting nails through his hands and his feet? Seven times you find where Jesus' blood was accessed. Seven times. Not just when they put the nails in his hands on the cross. It's interesting to me, too, that in the Bible, when you study biblical numerology, that seven, the number seven, many of you know, is the number of completion in the Bible. It is the number of perfection. It is the number of restoration. Did you know through the Bible, over 600 times, the word seven is used over 600 times? Just look at the correlation of seven. When you look in Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 7, you can go check it out. The priest, whenever there was someone that had leprosy, and leprosy was a curse, it was a death nail, it was the picture of sin in the Old Testament, no way that anybody can enter God's presence. It was over. You're dead. But when they were healed, the Bible said that the priest would take the blood of an animal and sprinkle it over the person seven times, showing that they had been completely cleansed, restored from their death sentence because of the blood. When you look in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested and said, this is complete, this is perfect, this is completely restored, this is what I meant when it was in chaos. Before sin, it was perfect. Seventh day, he rested. When Joshua was supposed to go take the city of Jericho, you remember what happened? God instructed him, get seven priests and get seven trumpets and march around seven times. And on the seventh time around, he says, you blow those trumpets and shout the praise and the walls come down. I'm going to let you restore and take back what the enemy has taken. How many of you thank God Jesus did it all? It is complete through the cross and what he did on the, on the cross through his blood. Everything. So here's what I want to do for a moment. I want to take you to those seven places because I think we're forgetting what he truly restores. He didn't just save me, friends. He gave me a whole lot more than just saving me and giving Sam Rafael eternal life. Let me show you the seven times he shed his blood. The first time he shed his blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So get your notepads out. Get your app out. Those of you at home, get it out because I want you to go look at this. The first time he shed blood was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke's account of it is in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Look what he says. 
It says he was, speaking of Jesus, was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now somebody says, well, that's like great drops of blood. Well, there was something that Luke saw, the physician saw. Luke saw something that was very uncommon because something, how the sweat had so thickened. What happened actually, friends, here is a rare physical phenomenon known as hematidrosis that actually what happens is that little tiny blood vessels can actually rupture when someone is under deep stress, can actually rupture and make its way into the sweat glands. It's an actual rare physical phenomenon when someone is under deep agony and deep distress that blood actually comes into the sweat and that sweat came from Jesus' brow as it fell to the ground like blood. Now why is this so important? Because what we find is that the first Adam was also in a garden just like Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane. The first Adam in that garden in that garden, he gave in to his flesh. Instead of the Spirit of God ruling, his flesh ruled, his mind, his own will, his own emotions. And the first Adam's flesh gave in to disobedience in the Garden of Eden, and he took from the forbidden tree. And that put a curse on us because what happened was he surrendered his willpower no longer to obedience to the will of God, but to his own fleshly desire which brought sin. And that first Adam's flesh gave in to disobedience in the Garden of Eden so he could take from the forbidden tree. But thank God for the second Adam who went into another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Because when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, guess what happened? Jesus Christ, his flesh gave out to submit to the obedience of his Father God to do the will of God in the Garden of Gethsemane so he couldn't take from a forbidden tree, but he would hang on a tree that we could be absolutely redeemed, friends. That's what he did. And what did Adam lose? What Adam lost was his willpower. We lost our willpower to do what was right. And what is right is God's will because God knows best. And when Adam disobeyed, friends, we lost that willpower to do the will of God that does the best blessing for our life. But I will let you know, your willpower to do God's will was given back to you. It was returned back to you when Jesus Christ shed his blood that you can have the willpower to do the will of God when your flesh doesn't want to anymore. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You so desperately want to change. You so desperately want something to cure you and to fix you. I feel like I don't have the willpower to follow God. I don't have the willpower to forgive. I don't have the willpower to get up in the morning. Oh, friends, can I tell you? His blood cured all of that, and we can surrender to that blood. I will tell you right now, meth will not be the cure. Alcohol will not be the cure. Licking a new age crystal and positive thinking will not be the cure. When you understand Jesus already paid it at the cross and his blood gives me the power to do the will of God when I couldn't do it before, all you got to do is surrender to the power of his blood. That's all it takes. He gives you the power of his blood to overcome your own fleshly desire to do the will of God. That was the first time he shed blood. Here's the second time he shed blood. It was at the whipping post. In fact, there were two times that he shed his blood, the second and third time. Now, let me show you what this account was. Is when they took that 
that cat of nine tails, that, that, that leather whip with lead in the, in the edge of it so that it could swing around, sink into the flesh, rip the flesh, and rip it apart. One writer said you could not even recognize Jesus as a human being because he was beaten so bad and the flesh was ripped from his body. But here's what Isaiah gave that account hundreds of years before. Look what he said in Isaiah 53, 5 about the event. He says, but he was wounded for our trans... Everybody say wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, everybody say the last three words and make the devil soil himself. Come on. We are healed. Now really irritate him and give God praise over that right now. I mean, just irritate him. The blood did that. Now I want you to see something very clear where he shed his blood twice here. So we're up to the almost the second, third time. It says he was wounded for our, that means literally a wound is something that takes the flesh, rips it, exposes the flesh, and blood flows out. But it says he was wounded for your transgressions. What is a transgression? Literally, transgression means to overstep a pre-established boundary. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, you can have all of this. But there's one thing I'm going to ask you to follow the will of God. Do not touch this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't eat. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. And you know what Satan does? He always maximizes God's prohibitions, but minimizes God's provision. You have the whole place. Just don't do this. He maximizes God's prohibition and gets your eyes off the blessings of why God says, here's the boundary. And we cross the boundary through sin. Sin actually means to miss the mark. And here's what happened. You need to hear this. That his blood, when I receive him as the sacrifice that could only be given for the sins of mankind, for Sam Reifkogel, he says, Reifkogel, every trespass, every sin that you've ever committed in your life is completely wiped out and eradicated. And I took the wound, Sam, so you could be healed from your sin that separates you from me and from God and from the blessings. And I restore you through the blood of Jesus back into relationship with God. Friends, do you understand this? You can't give enough money to this church. You can't volunteer enough. You cannot memorize enough scripture. You can't pray enough prayers to give you access to the presence of God. There's only one thing that gives you presence. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's because of his wounds that you are restored in relationship with him. Quit trying to do, 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 and know that it was done, done, done. It is finished at the cross of Jesus Christ. His wounds gives you access to that relationship. So first of all, it gives you salvation. It gives you forgiveness of sins. He was wounded. That's what that blood was for. Satan cannot break that relationship because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But they didn't say he was just wounded. It says he was bruised for our iniquities. See, in fact, friends, what a bruise actually is, is the rupturing of a blood vessel where blood is released beneath the skin. What are iniquities? Iniquities are an inherited weakness in a person's nature that causes them to disobey God. I bet that some of you in this room remember the cycles of sin that even gone generationally through your family. 
You're dead. You are caught in this sin. You know you're caught in this sin. And now that you reflect on it, your dad did the same thing or your mom did the same thing. And as you start digging in the family tree, you found out that their daddy's daddy did it and their mama's mama did it and their mama's mama did it. And now, well, it's just the way we are. It's just the way it is. And you can't seem to break this cycle of sin. That is an iniquity, a proclivity toward a sin that seems like it always is coming after you. He said, I was bruised for your iniquities. Underneath the skin, the vessels were ruptured and blood began to flow. See, here's the deal about a bruise. When you get a bruise, makeup and clothing can hide what other people can't see. And most of the time, church folk can come into church and they can hide their bruise, a cycle of sin, or a wound underneath, a hurt and abuse underneath, and nobody has to see it. You know, you can just say praise the Lord at the right place. You can just raise your hand and fake everybody out. You can cover up with makeup real easy, those iniquities. And we can sit through church, and sometimes we can cover them up so good, we, we're like Adam and Eve, we're just popping on fig leaves all over our place. Because we want to hide the true nature of our sin. But he says, let me just tell you something. I'm the safest place you can come, is what Jesus says. Because I know about the bruises, and I don't know the things that your wife doesn't know, and I know the things your parents don't know, and I know the things, the proclivity toward a certain way that you haven't even told your parents. And he said, can you bring it to me? Because here's what I did. I go to the places where you feel the wound, and you feel the guilt, and you feel the despair, and I rip off the fig leaves, and I take away the makeup, and I want to tell you that I even go underneath the skin, and I go to the inner hurt, and my blood was shed so that you don't have to live under the curse of that iniquity. You don't have to live under that curse of that sin, and you can walk in not freedom just for eternity, but you can walk in freedom today. How many thank God for the iniquity that is broken when he shed the blood underneath the skin? Oh, think about that. And he says, by my stripes, you are healed. Come on, everybody, healed. I'm healed in my broken relationship with Jesus. I can be healed in my broken relationships with people. And he's not just talking about spiritual, true life, new life in Jesus Christ. How many know he expects us to pray for divine healing for miracles right now? Can I tell you what happened? Well, somebody just told me just a moment ago they were here at the Good Friday. Not a word is spoken, not a hello, not a goodbye. People think we're rude. It's just really cool, isn't it? Not a word was spoken. We had communion. And somebody told me, they said, Pastor, well, we were taking communion. I was told that while they were taking communion, they were instantly healed and nobody said a word. They were healed right in this service. Physically healed in this service. Physically healed. Couldn't believe it. They said, they're still trying to put their mind around it. And nobody said a word. Nobody touched them. No one laid a hand on them. Healed in the name of Jesus. Friends, I'm telling you, how many know he bore not just our sin, but he bore every disease in his body? You know, one of our church members was doing some lab work for a place that did testing on human illness. They said, what's so interesting to me, said, I saw all these Petri dishes for testing for a human illness in this, in, this, in this blood lab. And he said, the tech told me that in each one of these dishes, it contained at least 5% of sheep's blood. And he said, they begin to tell me that the reason sheep's blood is often used is because this is the meat, this medium is used because it can carry and grow every bacteria that is common to human illness.
Sheep's blood can carry all of it. Let me tell you what happened on the cross. It wasn't a Petri dish. There are 39 major categories of diseases. And when Jesus Christ took that stripe across his body and that whip hit it, he not only did it that you can be freed from your iniquity, you can be freed from your sin and restore your relationship with Jesus Christ. But that super lamb, that sheep, that good shepherd, he took every category of disease common to human man. And can I tell you, he is still the healer that can touch and resurrect a broken body. How many thank God he is our healer? Healer. Think about that. Seven times he shed his blood, completeness. What did he resurrect you from? Let me tell you the fourth place he resurrected from. It was the place where the crown of thorns happened. The crown of thorns. John's account of it is this way, John 19, 2. He says, the soldiers wove crowns of what, everybody? Say the word. Thorns. And put it on his head. Put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. This is very interesting. Thorns. Thorns. Do you understand that in the Garden of Eden, thorns were declared as part of the curse of Adam's sin? The first Adam in the garden brought the curse upon our productivity, our labor, and our work. As a result, toil comes into our workforce, into our, into our labor. He says thorns and thistles. Let me read it to you. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Adam sins. The first Adam in the garden of Eden sins. And look what God says. God says this. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Hmm. Anybody ever feel that way? Must have not filled your car up lately. Must have not had to put on braces on your kid's teeth yet. He said, your work. It wasn't that way before, before the sin. He says, it will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground. Those thorns were a part of the outcome of disobedience that our work would constantly be affected by labor and toil. It wasn't intended to be that way, folks. It was intended to be a joy and the glory of God comes out of it. But do you now know, according to Gallup poll, almost 70, almost 50, uh, 60 some percent of Christians do not like the current job they're in. Yet when you open up the Bible of the book of Genesis, the first attribute you see of God is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is working. One of the greatest places where God shows, shows his glory is in our work. But why would God bless us as Christians when we resent the very job we go to every day? We show up late, we leave early, we gripe because we're not paid enough, and yet God says, my glory is seen in work. He said, that's because thorns and thistles, that's why we're griping, that's why we're complaining. We never make enough, we're overworked, we're underpaid, we never enjoy it, we can't ever seem to get ahead. That is a part of the curse that came, those thorns. But can I tell you what the second Adam did? The second Adam, Jesus Christ, took the thorns, the curse of our work, and those thorns were shoved into the blood of Jesus. And Jesus Christ says, let me tell you what I can do. I don't just redeem your soul. I resurrect and redeem and bless your hands, your labor, that I put a joy back in your work, a joy back in what you're doing, your productivity. I bless you and I prosper you again. 
He said, you want to live the old world set? See, here's, here are believers born again, but hate what God's given them. Stop complaining about your job. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. Because when we do that, guess what we're doing? We are manifesting the world's sweat of the brow that always leads to poverty. But Jesus said, listen, the world can operate by the sweat of their brow. But he said, I will prosper you by the blood from my brow. And I break the curse of poverty. You want me to tell you how it is? Let me just show you. Even when believers are cheating in business and fudging records and inflating things in a place they never should have been inflated, that's not the conduct of Christians. Stealing from the company is not the conduct of a believer. Showing up late, leaving early is not the conduct of a Jesus follower. If you do that, don't tell them you go to Grand Rapids first. Don't tell them you do that. Don't. Because he puts a joy in your labor. Because you don't live by the sweat of your brow. You live by the blood from the brow that redeems those thorns and thistles and says, God, make my hands. Because here's what happens. You start looking at your money different. Now my money is at the place where I look at my money. Okay, what can I do for the kingdom of God? Lord, look how you've taught me how to steward it, manage it. Now I can do something. I can multiply it. I can buy the right stock. I can invest in God. Now what can I do with this to do something for the kingdom of God? I'm constantly looking at our money, asking Brenda, what can we do more for the kingdom of God? Why? Because he gives me more to prosper by because he's redeemed every bit of it. But the world, they're not going to operate that way. It's how tight fisted can we be? How much can we hold back? Believers get this way. If I can just get my 10% in, then I'm good with God. But a true Jesus follower, because they're prosperous, they're saying, God, you have redeemed my hands and my work. What do you want me to do with this wealth? Whose life can I change with this wealth? And you know what y'all did? When we did Chosen Sunday with World Vision, 447 kids already in another country, in another place in Kenya right now are living a life because of your blessing. And we continue to do it through missions. We can continue to do it as we bless people. See, because the world, their whole philosophy is get by as cheap as you can, fudge the books, inflate the prices. That's the world. We are not the world. We're not the world. The world's philosophy is get all you can, can all you get, hide the can, sit on your can, don't want to work. And if you don't have what everybody's put in their can, go steal somebody's can. No, friends, not the child of God. How many thank God? He redeemed even our wealth, our prosperity to show the glory of God through it. Amen? Oh. Woo. Let me show you the fifth place. Here's the fifth place where the nails in both of his hands think about it for a moment. The fifth place he shed blood was his hands. Think about the hands of Jesus for a moment. The hands that had productivity to make furniture. Maybe the hands that went over and repaired a widow's home. The hands that carried babies when everybody else and the disciples said, tell the babies to go away. He said, oh no, no, let me hold these babies. My, my funnest time is baby dedication. When paper, it's my, Brendan's fun, most enjoyable time. He held babies. Think about his hands. His hands were for ministry. They'd worship. Not only Mr. People, they'd minister to the Father with worship. Didn't, the, Jesus didn't do this in services. His hands worshiped. Then he found productivity in ministry 
and he'd find a blind guy and he'd lay his hands on his eyes and say, be healed. He'd go raise the dead. His hands would minister. It would touch people. It would take the lepers, the disease, the one of sin, and he would acquaint himself with their sins. He would touch them. He didn't care what the sin was. He would touch them. He'd lay hands on them. And now those hands that were once productive, once those hands that had ministry, those hands were now nailed to a cross. Why? Because he's redeeming something for you. Isaiah even talked about it in Isaiah 53. This is what he, hundreds of years, this is what he said he would dream. He says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Oh, we're seeing something right here, right? Many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his what, everybody? his hands. Through his blood, friends, can I tell you what's happening? He has redeemed the hands of your productivity. Not only that, but he's redeemed your hands to start doing ministry for the kingdom of God. He wants you involved in ministering to people, everyone. That's why Deuteronomy 30 verse 9 says, then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the works of your hands. He's going to bless it. It's time for you to do the ministry of Jesus Christ. Those hands we're nailed to the cross to redeem and resurrect your ministry. That's why Jesus, out of his own mouth, said in Mark 16 to 18, he says, they, speaking of you and me, will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Here's the point, everybody. God has no hands but your hands. Your hands. You're it. He redeemed every bit of it. Then look at the sixth place where he shed his blood. Those nails went through both feet. What are the feet so important? Whenever you look throughout scripture, when you see feet, it speaks of dominion. It speaks of authority. The right to take territory for God. Dominion and authority. Man lost all of his authority through sin of the first Adam. We lost that ability to take dominion and authority. But how many of you thank Jesus for the second Adam who resurrected your dominion and authority through the shed blood, even the blood that came from his feet. It represented dominion and authority. So here, God has no hands but your hands. Let me also tell you this. God has no feet but your feet. That means he intends for us. I'm not talking about taking land, literal land and territory. He wants us to every place we go, he wants us to be able to take the influence of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and dominion into it. That's why he told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, when they went into the promised land, he says, every place on which the sole of your feet treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. But through the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, let me tell you what Paul said through the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Look at your neighbor and say, pretty feet, pretty feet, nice feet, nice feet you got there. What is he saying? He's not talking about literal feet. Come on. Some of us still got to get the toe jam out of there. Some of us need to go and go <laughs> get us a nice pedicure. But what he's saying is that your feet have the dominion to bring the good news. And there's good things that come with the good news. It's not just telling everybody how bad they are. It's bringing the good news of what God wants them to be. He says you have the authority, the dominion to do that. Friends, are you listening to this? We have held back too long. Man, when I was a kid, you couldn't be in sports. Well, that's ungodly. No, we should have been sending our kids 
into the athletic realm to be take dominion and bring Jesus Christ to that. Forget a TV. That one-eyed demon. No, we should have been sending them into the movie industry so we would be dominating, bringing the message of Jesus Christ and the hope of virtues that grow people great for God and we allowed somebody else to take it. You should be taking your dominion rule. You should be taking, listen, you are just as anointed as pastor to take the dominion authority. You ought to be bringing it into the education system. Don't gripe about the education system. Get in it and start bringing the dominion and the influence of Jesus Christ into it. Get in it and take it over. Get into the political realm. Run for city council. Run for school board. Get in there and bring the dominion, the influence, and the love of Jesus into that place and go, what's different about that person? I can't get it, but I just love hanging out with them. I know I disagree with them, but I just I can't get it. Let me tell you something, friends. God wants you to bring the good news of good things, and it's time for us to start taking the dominion and letting Satan no longer take any territory from us anymore. Get in there. Get in the education system. Get into the arts. Get into it. Get into it. Get into the medical field. Get into it. Get into the business. Get into it until the glory of God is seen through the productivity of your hands and your feet and dominion. The enemy's taking too much territory, but Jesus said, those nails went through my feet. Let me tell you why, because Romans 16, 20 says this, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It wasn't just Jesus' dominion to crush the head of the enemy, but he said, that dominion I give you to bring the glory and the presence of Jesus Christ into every realm. You start taking it in there. You may be getting ready to go home to an unsafe husband who's antagonistic against the gospel. You may be going to a wife who doesn't want anything to do with your Jesus, or you have parents that don't want to serve God, or you have children that sit there and mock your Lord. I'm going to tell you, you bring the presence of Jesus everywhere you go. He goes, he's with you. And you know the reason why? Because he said, I will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Can I tell you the good news is, is that his blood, his death, his burial, his resurrection gives you dominion to tread upon the adversary like never before. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Can I tell you what Jesus said? There's only one position. There's only one position that Satan should be in, and it's under your feet. The highest Satan ought to ever get is the bottom of your foot. He's not taking your home. He's not taking your kids. He's not taking your marriage. He's not taking your money. He's not taking the key. Come on. He is not overthrowing the kingdom of God. Every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon. Put Satan under your feet. You're not fighting people. You're fighting a spiritual darkness. Put him under your feet. Take authority in Jesus' name. He's under your feet. The highest he ought to get is the bottom of your foot. Are you hearing me, young person? You ought to come in with the love of Jesus into that, into that university campus. You ought to come into that high school knowing that you are, an ad, you're, you, you, are, are carrying, you are a carrier of the anointing of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. You're a witness for him. And you ought to not let the devil get any higher than the body. Listen, the only words that Satan ought to ever read is Nike. <laughs> he ought to only read Adidas. The only words you ought to ever read, sir, is leather soul. That's the only words you ought to ever read. Put him under your feet. Because Jesus said, when those nails went through my feet, I give you the ability to take dominion over Satan in the name of Jesus. 
He's no longer taking dominion over you in your lifestyle. He's no longer taking dominion over the drug addiction. Say, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to stay firmly planted. How lovely are the feet of them that bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, last place. You ready for this? We're coming in for a landing. The seventh place Jesus shed his blood was the spear in his side. John 19, 34 says, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood, blood and water flowed out. What a gruesome scene. The execution of Jesus Christ stretched out over hours to maximize pain. Beat till you couldn't recognize him. To finally you die, not because of the wounds, you die because your lungs are filling up with mucus. And when they pierced his heart, the fluid, the water, and the blood came out. This is something you can't cure with a couple ibuprofen. You want to make Jesus a wimpy Jesus? Let me tell you, he was no wimpy, no wimpy man. And when they thrust that spear into his heart, that blood flowed out and his heart was pierced and broken so your heart could be made whole. He could take all the sin and all the pain and all the bruises, all the sexual abuse, all the mental torment that was put on you, all the rejection, all the prejudice that came against you. And he said, I was pierced. I faced all of it. And he says, when my blood flowed out, it heals the brokenness in your life. All the rejection, all the hurt, all the bitterness, but more importantly, your relationship is broken with the Father. And he says, I want to heal you today. How many of you thank God that his death, his burial, and his resurrection is for you to walk in? in restoration completeness today. Huh. That's why the resurrection is so important. You know what? You can preach all these things, but why do you and I seem to allow Satan to have domination in areas of our life? You know, Jesus did all of that, but he says, I want to keep reminding you. Do you know why we have the word of God? It's to continually to remind us of what he did for us. You know, some of you are going to give your life to Jesus Christ and uh, some of you are online going to give your life to Jesus Christ and you don't have a Bible. Today, right after the service, you want a Bible, you just go right out those doors, go to guest services. There's one lane, just pick it up and grab it. There's some of you that are in the overflow right now. There's Bible sitting right there in the overflow, right there at the altar. You just, when you get done, you give your life to Jesus. I want you to have this. Because I'm going to tell you that this is one of the most important things because the devil has made you forget, distracted you from the places Jesus said you have dominion and authority. In fact, this is the word of God. In fact, you know the Bible's broken up into two categories. How many know what they are? The Old Testament and the New. You know what testament means? It actually means will or covenant. It's a will. It's a covenant. A testator is the person that writes the will who's alive. But how many know the will doesn't mean anything if the person who writes it is still alive? 
That's why Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15 says this. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. We've broken the boundaries. Now when someone leaves a will, a testament, a covenant, this is a will, a testament, a covenant, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will, what's been written, goes into effect only after the person's what? While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have had to deal with wills or last wills and testaments of people? How many of you have had to deal with them? You know? And you're reading through that will. Let's see, what did, what did Uncle Willard leave me? Oh, I thought I was just getting the Porsche. I got the Bentley. Oh, 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 I can't believe it. I got the lakefront property. Some of you have wealthy, wealthy family members and you have gone through that will like a fine tooth comb. Why don't you treat this will like you do Uncle Willard's will that left you millions? And let me tell you, you'll start demanding what's written in it. But some of you also have to deal with other family members because you know the statement, where there's a will, there's a lawsuit. You know why? Because in a court of law, any will can be contested. Do you know why Jesus gave us this book? Because he knows you have an adversary called Satan that will contest the will and tell you, you can't be saved. You've done too many sins. You are such a perverted spirit. You could never be born again. You could never be a part of this church and be saved. He'll contest it. He'll tell you, don't even ask for healing. Don't ask God to restore your marriage. Your kids are lost. Look how you raise them. You, you are a horrible parent. He's always contesting this will. And it can happen in a court of law. Uncle Willard may have left you millions and it's written in, in a testament, but you got a snot-nosed cousin by the name of Throckmorton who sits there and says, well, Uncle Willard, you should look what he wrote me and he told me I was going to get to Bentley. I was going to get to the millions. I, I contest this. He, 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 he included me in it. And he can contest that will. Let me tell you why the resurrection is powerful. Uncle Willard may have done it and he may actually take something that was actually supposed to be yours. Snot-nosed cousin Throckmorton. Let me ask you this. What if Uncle Willard came back up out of his grave? Walked in before the judge and he points his finger at snot-nosed Throckmorton and says, listen here, you little squirt. I took you out of the will. And you know why? Because I saw you at the last family reunion. You were sitting there wiping the coleslaw off my lips. And, oh, Uncle Willie, we love you. But I saw you turning down my oxygen. And I know you wanted me to die. And you're out of this will. And everything I've written 
is for my son, my daughter. I came back from the dead to tell you back off. How many of me know there would be no arguments? It would be unnecessary to have any more examples or any more evidence submitted into the court. How many of you know that the judges say, case dismissed, take it all? Well, let me tell you why the resurrection is so important, friend. It's because Jesus knew that you'd have a devil sit in this room and whisper in your ear, you can't be saved. It may be for that guy down there, but not for you. Let me tell you, Jesus rose from the dead to tell the devil, said, you keep your mouth shut. My blood was shed for her sin and his sin. Let me tell you right now, you just back off. You back off. He'll go over. He'll go over to a parent right now who said, just give up on your kids. You failed as a parent. You failed in your marriage. Why pray? Why ask? And Jesus Christ knew that Satan would try to contest the will. But he said, you leave them alone because I told them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved and so shall your house. Believe because my word says, who shall tell these words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. When you file bankruptcy so much, you're the lousiest business person in the world. God says, let me show you how to do a better plan and show you and teach you how to do it this right way. Just listen and start doing my will instead of doing what your flesh and your emotions will do. Start surrendering to me. Now watch this. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what I'm going to do for you. Well, why pray for healing? Jesus Christ says, because by my stripes you were made whole. How many of you believe, friends, it's time to take the one who's contested the will and say the resurrected Savior now lives inside of me and all that he did at the cross to complete and make perfection happen for me is happening. And one day I'll stand before him face to face, absolutely perfect, body, soul, mind, and spirit. How many thank God for his love to die for us and rise from the dead to contest the will, not let the devil contest the will. Amen.